Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of Perpetual Traffic. This is Molly Pittman with my amazing co-host, Mr. Ralph Burns. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you, Mall? I'm doing amazing. We were just chatting about a fish crisis, a pet crisis uh, going on at the Burns household right now. The electricity went out last night. Um, and this caused distress to your fish. <laughs> yes, yes. The fish filtration system broke last night, so Pebbles the fish is in distress. So it's a uh, it's a pet emergency here. So my son and my wife uh, ran out to PetSmart this morning. Well, you record perpetual traffic. <laughs> well, I record perpetual traffic. It's like keep me updated. Let me know how it goes. So we might actually have some real time Pebbles updates here on the show as this tragedy crisis transpires so well, you'll have tuned. to you'll have to keep us updated it is almost a hundred degrees here in Amsterdam we're having a crazy heat wave and I don't have air conditioning so I'm figuring my way around that and just embracing the heat but just FYI everybody I actually decided to move to Amsterdam for a year so I know on the last few episodes we were saying I was visiting but I actually figured out a way to get a visa so hello to anyone on the episodes who is close to me, hop over to Molly Pittman Digital on Instagram and send me a message. It's been so awesome. I use Insta stories a lot just to keep people up to date with what's going on in Molly world. And I've had a lot of response from Dutch people and Europeans reaching out saying, hey, welcome, would love to meet up. Uh, and that's been really cool. That's such a benefit of what we do in this community that we're building. It seems like there are digital marketers everywhere we go. <laughs> Amazing, and uh, 
that's made me feel at home and you know I fit in here in some way so really cool hop over to Instagram shoot me a message and if you guys don't follow me on Instagram do so I'm almost to 10,000 followers and when you get to 10,000 followers you get to do the swipe up to go to a web page so I would love to be able to do that so shameless plug here <laughs> uh, to go follow Molly Pittman digital on Instagram you didn't know that's what this episode was turning into did you no no it's uh, totally it's all about Molly today that's absolutely today. yeah and pebbles Forget <laughs> Molly and pebbles yeah we're just going to talk about that I think for the next 30 minutes I think that would keep our our listeners really glued to their iPhones and Android devices listening to the right. show. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for listening to the personal updates on to the more important stuff. We have a really special episode for you guys today. Ralph and I want to touch on three topics during today's episode. And let's roll right into the first one, Ralph. So the first, just to hop right into it, is asset customization and dynamic creatives. And this is a topic that I get asked about a lot from students and people that listen to the podcast. Molly, do you use this option inside of Facebook ads? If so, does it work? And my issue with asset customization and dynamic creatives is the issue that when you are using these features, it's very hard to aggregate a lot of social proof onto one or a few post IDs, which mm -hmm. doesn't play as well with the algorithm. You're, you're dispersing your social proof over many more different ads when you're using this Facebook feature. But I know this is something you guys wanted to test inside of tier 11, as you do in your Facebook agencies. So number one, give us a little description about what the heck I'm even talking about and <laughs> tell us about these two tests that you guys ran, Ralph? Yeah, I mean, these are tests, but they're also, you know, I would couch this with, yes, they are tests. And we're trying to figure out if there's a clear winner and then leverage that among all the accounts that we manage. And it's very hard for us to test once or twice and then say, okay, we have a completely conclusive, 100% certain this is the way to go things. That's why we always say, on this show, you should always test it for your own. Everything that we talk about here on the show, certainly take it with a grain of salt, but also it's going to depend on your ad account. And it's sometimes it even depends on the day in which you start the test because the platform is so, well, shall we say moody at times, especially recently in the last <laughs> couple of months. I shouldn't even say in the last couple of months, it's always that way. So that's just the new normal. That's the normal, the way that it always has been on the Facebook ads platform. So when we test something, we're just trying to figure out, okay, we've got an idea. Is this thing really something that's going to have a lift or have conversion lift. And you can do this through a number of different methodologies inside Ads Manager. You can do test and learn. You can also do split testing to test a variety of different variables within your ad accounts. And I would highly suggest that you have budget set aside, you know, a smaller portion of your budget. And that's typically what we'll do inside tier 11 is we'll have, you know, sort of a set amount or maybe a dollar amount that we agree upon with a customer say, we're just going to use this just to test new things, or we don't even tell them about it just because it's sort of part of our whole methodology. So anyway, so this was a test that was run through our director of media buying, as well as one of our awesome media buyers here at tier 11. And uh, we wanted to find out if placement optimized creative, which is basically asset customization. If you don't know what asset customization is, 
is inside your ads, inside a campaign, you can actually customize or select a placement to customize a particular ad. So for example, in the Facebook newsfeed or in the Instagram newsfeed, you can use square images just for like ease of just using this as an example. You can also customize your images for Instagram stories with a 1080 by 1920 image size. So when you're using asset customization, you want to use a placement optimized creative, meaning that we've talked about this before. You can go into a resource like Canva, for example, canva.com. Great resource. It's free. But right in there, they actually say, you know, if you want to take an image for Instagram stories or for Facebook newsfeed, and there's another one for right-hand column, which is sort of that old 1200 by 620 sort of image. So you can use a resource like Canva to customize for all the different placements that are within the Facebook platform. So there's lots of placements, as we know. How many placements actually are there, Molly? Do you know off the top of your head? It's like 18 of them, I believe, at yeah, this point. Yeah, almost 20, yeah. which it's hard to believe. There's a lot, and there's more coming, too. Mm-hmm. You know? And they're changing. And they're constantly changing, absolutely. So this is all inventory. This is all ad inventory that Facebook is trying to sell, obviously. So the theory behind this test was, okay, when you use placement optimized creative in asset customization in that feature inside your ads do you actually get better results by customizing how all these individual ads look or do you just use one ad or one creative that's not placement optimized and which actually wins so we did two tests here just to reiterate it the two groups and two separate tests In this case, it was a video. So the way that I explained it before is obviously the easiest way to do this is probably through an image. You can customize that through canva.com. But in this case, we used a video. So maybe that was a variable that we kind of messed up in this test. Who knows? But for this customer, we primarily do use video to explain and sort of go through sort of the, the story of how the product was created, what it actually does, the benefit that's derived from it. So video works really well. So we created one campaign with two ad sets, okay? And then we created another campaign with four ad sets. So once again, the best way to do this is to try and like figure out, you know, the methodology to use. Was our methodology foolproof? Mm, You know, you could probably do it your own way and try and do it a different way. But the point was, is that we wanted to get some learning here and put some ad dollars behind it. So in this first test that we did, did this one back in May, we spent nearly $9,000. And the good news was that both of the tests, both of the asset customized ad sets and the non-customized ad sets actually were above our customer's KPI. Meaning for this customer, it's a 2X plus return on ad spend to cold traffic. So both of these tests, and it was a week-long test that we did, they actually got really good results. So we were happy about that. So when we test something and it's getting a horrible result, you know, unless it's a smaller ad budget, we'll typically kill the test just because the first and foremost thing is, you know, we want to get great results for our customers. So we're getting good results for both of these, but for both customized ad sets and for non-customized ad sets, we were above our goal. Great. So 
The first result was that the asset customized ad sets actually got a, they got a 2.02 return on ad spend. Pretty good. Non-customized was 2.4 return on ad spend. So a little bit better for not customized. So back to something that you talk about all the time. One of the things that's sort of a detractor for asset customization using placement optimized creative. There's a lot of words in there. But anyway, you guys kind of know where I'm so going with this. <laughs> uh, you always say, well, the thing that I don't like about this is it doesn't help aggregate social proof because you're not using a post ID. It's good for testing. Yeah, absolutely. So and we can get into that and what the science behind that is and, and with you in just a second here. So that's one of the things that we don't really like about it. But we're like, well, we need to challenge ourselves and figure out is social proof really that important? Or is Asset customization through a placement optimized creative, more important. Well, in this case, it seems like social proof won slightly. So 2.4 to 2.02, not quite statistically significant. On the surface, looks a little bit better. Both of these ad sets, they actually spent over $4,000 each. So it's not an insignificant sum. But did we get a wildly different result? No, we didn't. Now, if the non-customized ad sets got like a 3x return on ad spend versus, you know, a 2x return on ad spend, I think we would, you, know, you can throw this sort of stuff into like a p-value calculator as well. There's all kinds of ways in which you can calculate this, but we were looking for like dramatic differences. So we didn't really see a dramatic difference on that first test. So our very smart media buying team said, why don't we do it again? So they did another one, this one in June, this time spending over $11,500, about $11,700 on this test, same kind of test, one campaign with two ad sets, two of which were asset customized, and then another campaign with two assets, two all other placements, three ads in each. So a slightly different formula here. And on this one, we found that the asset customized ad sets did less well and actually weren't at the KPI of the customer at about a 1.56 return on ad spend versus non-customized all placements was just over 2x return on ad spend. So statistically significant, mm, kind of, you know, we plugged it in that actually it was in this particular case, but it was from our perspective, it was somewhat inconclusive and it changed our thinking or sort of geared our thinking more towards not customized. So even though this is a new feature that Facebook is advocating and we've actually done some meta analysis through a lot of the ad accounts inside tier 11 to figure out, okay, if you have a customized asset at the ad level, does it get better reach? Does it get better results? A lot of that analysis looked like, yeah, it probably did. But the point was in these two, you know, pretty confined tests with a fair amount of ad spend is that the results were somewhat inconclusive. So the point is with all this is that you've got to test on your own, figure out what works, what doesn't work. We've also tried this on another coaching customer as well as three other ad accounts with kind of similar results right now. Nothing that's, you know, just going to blow you away as far as differential goes. 
you know, one in both cases, the one that did win was not customized. So, you know, going back to your original theory on this, or like you speak very emphatically about this, Molly, when you talk about how important social proof is, and it's a social platform that we're advertising on, this kind of speaks back to, yeah, maybe not customized and the aggregation of social proof is more important than placement optimization. I think it also depends on what you're trying to do in that particular campaign. This is something we chatted about earlier, Ralph, that I think is so important for people to hear. Even if you buy a lot of media, I see people sort of gather these best practices and figure that the best practice for setting up and deploying a Facebook campaign is going to be the same every time. And it's not, not just for the fact that it's changing over time, right? Like what works on Facebook, what doesn't work on Facebook, but the best practices are going to change depending on what you're doing. And two very different types of campaigns are campaigns that you're building to test. So maybe it's a new offer, maybe it's a new audience, new copy, new creative. So you're testing this entirely new concept or you're building a campaign to scale. So you're scaling something that you know already works. And my best practices change when I'm setting up a campaign for testing versus scaling. And I think this might be the case here. I feel like dynamic creatives and this asset customization, I feel like this might be best suited in the test mode when you really don't know which copy variation is going to work best. You don't know which headlines are going to work best. And then when you're ready to scale, really adopting this idea that I need to go with the ad or ads that has the most social proof because that's going to be Facebook's biggest indicator of is this successful or not? And are we going to continue to you know give this ad lower cost per click, lower CPA and higher reach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and both of these tests, and I should mention this, is that, you know, when we talk about statistical significance, there was two metrics that actually came out of this. Neither one of these got to the reliable results range. So there was about a 70% chance, 76 to 71% chance that if you did these tests again, then you would get the same results. So you're, you're looking for about a 90% or greater confidence interval, I believe is what it's called. I'm not a statistician, but basically you need a 90% or better. And these were in the 70s. So could we have made this test a little bit more clear or a little bit more clean? Hard to say, because we're still trying to get results for our customers at the end of, of the day. Course. But what it did is it gave us a signal that said, Okay, at least we're sort of showing we're trying to figure out this whole thing. Like, should we do this, you know, all, all account wide or, or agency wide? We still it's inconclusive. But the point is, is that we're actually looking at it and we're trying to test it. The flip side to what you're talking about with social proof, we did do a test a while back using either post IDs for aggregation of social proof or just creating a bunch of different ads. And we actually found that the ads that didn't share the same post ID actually did better than the one that did share the post ID. So it's like, you know, was that a controlled test? No, it wasn't. But specifically, we tended to fault to post IDs because from a logical standpoint, we know that Facebook is a social platform. You should, in theory, get greater reach and greater results with ads that resonate with your audience that you're targeting. And I think that's something that you talk about a lot 
And I think, and especially now, it's really, really important, especially with all the changes that occurred in 2018. It's it's more important than ever. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I feel like, again, when to use certain Facebook products it's going to depend on the campaign. You know, my friend Allie reached out to me yesterday. She said, Molly, every time I use the split testing feature, I have, you know, a really great cost per lead. I can clearly see the winner. And then as soon as I decide on the winner and I start to scale, it all falls apart. And I think a reason for that is that that split testing feature is there to figure out the split test. But I don't think it's the best campaign structure to help you scale a campaign. So I don't know if that makes sense, but when you're setting up a campaign, really thinking about what is the goal of this campaign, right? What does it make sense? Does it make sense for me to use the split testing feature right now? Or am I in scale mode? And should I keep this campaign structure as simple as possible? Yeah. I mean, when you use something like dynamic creative or split testing, or maybe for your students, what are you finding as far as best practices go? You had mentioned some of them are using dynamic creative, and then you pull out the best combination of dynamic creative and then throw that into a regular Yeah, uh, exactly. Campaign. I think with split test feature, with dynamic creative, with any of these, I guess you would call them Facebook products, or I don't mm -hmm. really know what to call them, options yeah. <laughs> for yeah, us. Sure. I really think those are best fitting in, in the testing phase if you want to use them, but I really wouldn't use them in any other type of campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's something that we get a lot of questions on is the testing mode versus the scaling mode. Like how do you best test things outside of scaling? Because they really are yeah. two separate things. So Absolutely. what we discussed here with asset customization and the test that we did, we wanted to find out a theory of something as to whether or not it could be applied throughout all of our ad accounts. Well, it was somewhat inconclusive, but at least we now know. We're smarter today than we were prior to you know May when we started both of these tests, which is great. The point is, is that you do want to test and think about testing and scaling as two separate things. I mean, should you be always testing new ad copy and creative? Absolutely. And especially you should be when things are going well. <laughs> That's the <Yeah>. time. What <laughs> you know, only the paranoid survive. I think Andy Grove once wrote, former CEO of, of Intel. It's like if things are going great for you right now and you're like, oh, I've got these ads, they're cruising, everything's great. Ah, this is this is awesome. This is Facebook is yeah, set it and forget it. I've figured it out. Well, you're gonna be humbled at some point. And it's probably going to be like next week or maybe this weekend. The point is, <laughs> is like, Ralph said it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry to be like negative. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> negative nanny here. Negative Nancy. No, that's not. Uh, but I mean, you just have to be realistic is that the platform is a humbling platform. And that's why it actually says on tier 11, you know, on our website, it says the platform is smarter than all of us. I mean, you can't <laughs> outwit, you know, hundreds of PhDs in, you know, engineering and all the tech guys that are figuring out and women who are figuring this stuff out behind the scenes for the algorithm and making it the greatest platform in the world. The point is, is that you are going to be humbled. So when things are going well, that's the time to start doing this testing. And dynamic creative is something that I think we in the agency have to get back to because we did a lot of testing with it. And it sounds like some of your students are, are having pretty good results 
with it. And we've actually seen it in a coaching customer, you know, getting really good results with it. And it's one of those things It's like, oh man, there's so many things that you can do inside the platform. What do you focus on? But I think that's an important one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So the next thing we wanted to discuss here is your experience, Molly, with instant experience recently. So tell us about what you found, what you've seen in your students, as well as your personal experience. Yes. So I think when instant experiences first came out, first off, people didn't really know what to do with them (laughs) or what they were. And then most of the testing that was done with instant experiences, which are essentially ads that someone would click on, right? So you see a Facebook ad in your newsfeed, you click on the ad, and then the ad goes to sort of a landing page that's hosted by Facebook that doesn't take you off the platform. So it's kind of like a Facebook lead form, but without the form and more customizable, just for those of you guys that don't know. But most of the testing right out of the gate when it came to instant experience, from what I saw, was direct to product. So promoting a product in an ad, usually an e-commerce product, someone clicks on the ad, and then it opens into an instant experience that kind of looks like a product page almost. And I know that this has worked for a lot of people, hasn't worked so great for some people. I know that uh, with Ezra Firestone and his company, Boom, they're not really running any more instant experiences that looked like a product page because they just quit performing as well. And so what I have started to see working, and I've seen this working now in three to four markets, is actually using the instant experience as more of a pre-sell article. So if you have a pre-sell article, right? So you know, for Ezra with Boom, it's five makeup tips for older women. It's going to depend on your market. The pre-sell article needs to be educational and or entertaining, something that really hooks the user in and gets them interested and then seamlessly leads them to wanting to buy your product using this instant experience, instead of going direct to an instant experience that looks like a product page, going to an instant experience that looks more like an article, like a really short form pre-sell article that then clicks over to a product page on your site where you can purchase. This is working really well. And I think it's working well because number one, we know that pre-sell articles work if you have the correct content. And I think that the act of going from an ad over to a website to read a pre-sale article, there's just more of a chance that that person is going to click away or get distracted, not make it to the bottom of the page to go to the product page to browse the products, et cetera. So making this an instant experience instead of sending them directly to your website, number one, Facebook likes this. You're keeping them in the platform. So usually you're going to see a lower cost per click. And it's more digestible for the user versus having to go over and figure out how to navigate your website. There's this instant experience, which is already mobile optimized, that can either educate them, entertain them, and really encourage them to continue scrolling through the instant experience and to click over and purchase your products. So if you have a pre-sale article that's working in your business, this is a slight tweak that you can make to see if you can lower your cost per acquisition is just test replacing your actual pre-sale article page that's on your website with an instant experience and see how that does. So for those of us who aren't as familiar with Ezra's stuff, what is a pre-sell article? Just right. to so, take people through yeah. that and the rationale uh, behind it. 
A pre-sale article is basically an advertorial, so a piece of content that would go out to cold traffic that's going to be of interest to the market that also seamlessly leads to the sale of your product. So one example that I heard from a friend a few weeks ago, he works with a company that does the emotional support animal letters. So (laughs) um, he's running a pre-sale article about how it works, because that is, you know, when you're thinking, okay, I want my dog to be an emotional support animal. I want these benefits. Well, how do I actually do it? So the pre-sale article explains the process and then asks them to click over to apply. You know, like I said earlier for Ezra Boom, which is a cosmetic company that serves women over the age of 50, the pre-sale article, five makeup tips for women over 50, it works so well because it calls out the audience, you know, women over 50, but it's also giving them some value first and it transitions really well into promoting the product also. So that's a pre-sale article or an advertorial. Yeah, what we've seen is that if you have, and this is going to be interesting because we have a a new customer coming on that has real page load speed issues, like really bad, and it's an older site, and my sense is that the only way that we can actually market to their audience is through instant experience because you're in essence loading. Yeah, they're going to really punish you. And I think this is the case where you know, we've worked with them in the past where if you might get a hundred link clicks, you might get 50 landing page views. Yeah. So this is an important thing for you to look at. Uh, believe Absolutely. me, especially if you're just starting out, this is one of those metrics where you go into columns inside ads manager and look at performance and clicks and look at your landing page views versus your link clicks. So a link click mm-hmm. is anytime somebody clicks an image that's clickable or the link that might be in your ad copy or maybe the headline itself or the learn more button, whatever it happens to be. And then landing page views are actually people that hit your landing page. So if you've got a big differential between link clicks and landing page views, chances are you have a site speed issue. You have a page loading issue. And we're seeing this a lot with customers who have like old school long form sales pages or just have tons and tons of images and like they're just heavy pages and you can do a speed test on google developers just look at you know load times google just google that we'll put that resource in the show notes so you can diagnose it and also figure out ways in which to remedy it but instant experiences we found eliminates that or doesn't necessarily eliminate it because you still do have to click over to the product page, for example, for an e-commerce customer. But for Mm -hmm. a page like what you're talking about right now, for a pre-sale engagement page that might have just chunky content and videos on it and all kinds of other good stuff, you might want to figure out a way to put that in an instant experience so they can consume that content. And bear in mind, when you actually open an instant experience, you can capture that as an audience too which you can then use to retarget. It's a lightly engaged audience, might not be somebody who's clicked to your site or clicked to a product, but we refer to that as level two traffic. That's level two traffic, meaning that they've engaged with your page or engaged with your ad in one way, shape or form. So instant experiences, you can collect those audiences and then retarget them with maybe a stronger product message or some other message later on down the line. So there's two use cases right there, slow load time speeds, as well as just using it in your overall strategy 
for retargeting. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, you guys use that. I know that Ezra talks about this quite a bit for some of the instant experiences that he used to use is that it would use it as an overall integrated strategy when retargeting customers back to products as well. Yeah. So just a, an ad type to try, especially if you have some sort of content that you lead with. And this becomes especially important for scale. Absolutely. So last but not least, we want to talk about dynamic product ads to cold traffic. Yeah. What are you thinking on that? I'm thinking it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking this is another thing that when you work with Facebook, they, you know, and our partner manager who is awesome and the whole program that we're a part of, we, you know, meet with them so regularly. Obviously they're pushing their agenda. Their agenda is for a lot of the new things that are working in other ad accounts, they call these like the disruptors. We talked about this in previous episodes, but you know, the power five is like their big push right now. And, you know, we always like, all right, that's cool. I, we get it. You guys, we know kind of how this works. You want us using all these different things, which actually prompted the test we talked about here in the first part of the show, but dynamic product ads or what they call DABA, their dynamic ads broad audience is using catalog sales as your objective. So follow me on this one. Your objective isn't conversions. It's got to be catalog sales, which means you need a product catalog. And if you are an e-commerce company, you should have your product catalog and you should have it tied into a feed and you should have catalog subsets for specific markets that you might be in. The point is, is that this objective catalog sales is a great way to target sometimes even the same audiences or even broader audiences that you're targeting for your conversion ads, but it's a great way to scale. And you can scale in a lot of different ways, which we discuss here on the show. One way in which we found it very effective is by using different objectives, sometimes to the same audiences, sometimes to the same sort of you know, sales page, product page, category page. But when you use different objectives, you tend to have a synergy between objectives. We don't find that there's a whole lot of overlap in most cases. So taking a step back here, Facebook wants you to use all the assets that they have. There are quite a few of them. But when you're structuring your campaigns, especially if you're in e-commerce, we've done this with info-based products too. We actually had a guitar customer that had like a hundred different info products for learning how to play the guitar. We actually created a product catalog for them based on those products. So it's not just limited to e-commerce. If you have lots of products that you sell, you can set this up and it's very, very effective. But anyway, these dynamic ads, broad audience, we used to call them broad audience, no targeting, BANTS. Now we're kind of talking, we call them DABAs now, lots of acronyms here. But anyway, it's using catalog sales as an objective. You have your product catalog, you have your feed, and then you're targeting large audiences and sometimes with no targeting at all. And I know you guys are doing this inside Boom and Ezra is doing it. I know you've tried it as well. And it might not be a large portion of your cold traffic budget, but it's a great way in which to augment your efforts for your conversion campaigns. And sometimes we might have these campaigns, maybe 10, 15% maybe of our total daily spend, like not a huge portion. And then we scale them up slowly. But keep in mind, these are for cold traffic. These are for actually conversion-based 
using catalog sales as your objective. But we found that these really well augment and add to scale for a lot of our high volume customers, especially in the e-commerce space. So definitely something to look into. There's a lot of other things and a lot of other details that go along with it, like how great your images are, how well you optimize your description and your headline and all that. We'll leave some resources in the show notes for you. But we found that this is a really effective way to continue to scale using different campaign objectives to reach similar audiences, but also broad audiences more specifically. Absolutely. And it also allows you to reach certain groups of people that you just simply couldn't through your own targeting, you know, because you're using that catalog sales objective and because the objective, which objective you choose plays such an important role in who your ads are actually shown to by using this objective, you're going to be able to reach people who have searched for similar types of products or shown interest in similar types of products as the ones that you're selling that you really wouldn't be able to target any other way. So I love this as a way of scaling. And I think there's no reason any e-commerce business couldn't put five to 10% of their cold traffic budget, maybe even more if it's working, to these broad dynamic product ads just another way to acquire customers and scale. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And there's a lot of different tools you can use to automate this as well. And we're testing a number of different third-party tools that actually helps to optimize the feed. We have some customers that, you know, they want a separate feed for Facebook versus their feed that they would use for Google Shopping it's the same feed in essence from the catalog. So, you know, there's tools that you can use that can kind of separate that out. What we've really found is that, yeah, the ad copy is very important with these, but the images are the most important thing. And that's something that we have sort of an ongoing discussion on. We've got a pretty major test coming up with a a very large customer of ours, testing more either lifestyle type of images, showing the product being used, versus just a picture of the product with the white background, or another one which is sort of benefit-driven images in those catalogs and in the catalog itself. So the image that comes with the catalog, you can customize it and you can use third-party tools to do this. But we found that just straight product images, white background, maybe a colored background, yeah, they work pretty well. But we found that benefit-driven images, like for example, let's say whatever the big benefit is for your product, or maybe you have seven or eight different benefits for that product or variety of different products. What does it give to the user as opposed to features? Like this pencil does this, but actually here's what it does. It actually, the brush that you're using makes your eyeshadow look amazing. So get this Mm -hmm. brush, like there's benefits to it as opposed to just sort of talking about the thing. So we're testing that right now. And it's pretty exciting because we're seeing some pretty good results with more benefit-driven images, lifestyle-driven images, as opposed to just the plain old kind of stuff that you probably see in your newsfeed right now, which is just the picture of the product. So you can get creative with a lot of this. And uh, like I said, we're testing it right now, but pretty exciting results to start. And I think you know another great way for us to continue to scale up and, uh, you know, if you've got an e-commerce store, especially, this is something for you to look into and investigate. Talk with your dev guy or, you know, we'll leave you some tools here in the show notes to help you along with it as well. Awesome. Love it. Well, this has been a packed episode, Ralph. 
And uh, uh, complicated naming-wise, we've <laughs> talked asset customization, dynamic creatives, instant experiences, and then dynamic product ads. So that's not confusing at all. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, we try and go like techie geeky sometimes in some of these episodes, but then We'll go simple. I think that we've had a couple of simple yeah. episodes the last uh, few months. So and these good. are items that we get questions about a lot. So hopefully this answered your all's questions, gave you some more insight from our perspective about these Facebook products and when and how you should use them and go try something. Yeah. <laughs> Take something that you learned in this episode, test it and let us know how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our goal here is to to take what's given inside Ads Manager, test it a little bit, show you guys what we found, and then, hey, you're the ultimate judge and jury because every business is different and behaves differently on Facebook. So definitely check this stuff out on this highly techie episode here, Molly Pittman. And I think you have to go run to some air conditioning because it's what, like 110 <laughs> there now? It's time to go. <laughs> and there's an update Good on the fish. Uh, oh, there's an update. Yeah. What's going on with Pebbles? Pebbles? Pebbles is okay. Pebbles will Yay! survive. Yes. All right. That was e the open loop, loop that we use to keep you guys listening. <laughs> yeah. All is well at PetSmart. So uh, Pebbles will live to see another day here. So anyway, I just Love wanted it. everybody letting that know. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks, Ralph. Thank Thanks. you guys for listening. Good luck. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you. listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.